Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. Today on American Glutton Podcast, we are joined by Katie Wilcox, founder and CEO of Natural Model Management and HealthyIsTheNewSkinny.com. She also has a book called Healthy is the New Skinny. I'm really looking forward to this conversation with her about her approach to health and body image. You can find her on Instagram at Healthy is the New Skinny and at Katie H. Wilcox. Here we are back. And I want to say Paige is back with us after a long quarantine. So welcome back, Paige. Thank Are you. you. You survived everything? I survived. Okay, I'm happy good. to be back here. Excited to get going again. Good. Paige, as everyone knows, is my chaperone and uh, female perspective, which is important because I, though I have four daughters and a wife, it's very hard for me to understand <laughs> what chicks go through. Sorry for saying that if that's offensive. <laughs> Katie Wilcox, Hi. welcome to American Glutton. Thank you. I'm not offended by anything, so I'll just throw that out there. Okay, um, good. We've yeah. had a whole thing about the word chicks. Yeah. Some people don't like it and some oh, people really? don't mind it at all. Yeah, yeah. that wouldn't for be me, something. For that... me, I would never call one of my kids a chick because I don't think of my kids as being necessarily cool. There is a cool <laughs> connotation, yeah. I think, to chicks. You seem like a chick. Paige is a chick. My wife is definitely a chick. So that's where I stand on that. It's not meant to be demeaning. Chick is fine with me. I Sometimes when I, people say females, yeah. that reads a little bit more like that thing over there mm. right. versus like, hey, she's a cool chick. Yeah. Like, I think that's a little bit different. Yeah. yeah good point. <laughs> yeah. Female, it becomes very clinical, right? Mm -hmm. Like. I think female is more objectifying than chick. I I would agree with that. Yeah. Okay. So this is this is going to be a fascinating episode, which we're going to have to navigate. I just want to say my recent experience with weight loss has been very positive. I find uh, the people who 
write notes to you on Instagram to be much nicer than the people that write notes to you on Twitter generally. And so when I have put a picture up on Instagram, it's almost all nice. And then there's occasionally a guy who's like, you're still fat. And I'm going like, mm -hmm. okay, well, I'm never going to win you over. Fine. But I will say I have noticed specifically with Adele, who I don't know at all, but I look at a picture she released and I think like, look at how happy she looks and she's clearly accomplished something. But then there's just like a spewing of negativity where I'm like, I don't understand this gal. Gal's fine, right? Yeah. This gal. I don't know her, so I'm not going to call her a chick. She seems like she's probably a chick. So this gal clearly went through a journey and is at a place where she's the one picture I've seen of her recently, she's glowing and beaming and, and like, here I am. And there's a lot of negativity around that. So that led us to start talking. And I think what a, what a journey you've been through in this area. And I just want to get some more perspective on that. And, and, and then we can talk about also the social media aspect where it's like there are actually people rooting against people on a journey that they've created for themselves, mm -hmm. that they've gone like, here's what I want to accomplish with my body. And, you know, there's no requirement from anybody to approve or disapprove. And yet people are coming in and going like, that's not okay. And here's why. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really complex now. And I feel like I have a very unique experience. And one thing we were just discussing before going live is just that there needs to be continual conversation and learning. And the only way to do that is to hear from different perspectives and really like tune into people as humans and their experience. And then we go, wow, that's totally different from my experience. What can I take from your experience that would be beneficial to me? And what doesn't really relate to me, I don't have to accept, but it doesn't take away from it being your experience. So growing up being, uh, my mom's a single mom going to school. She got her doctorate, but my brother and I were home alone a lot. Both of us were uh, obese. We didn't have a lot of income. So we were eating, you know, mac and cheese and hot dogs and the cheapest food available, which I think is very common for large demographics in our country today. But also conversations with my mom about, she's like, well, the food pyramid then had carbs as like, this is the healthy thing. She's like, so I honestly thought that I was okay. Like I was trying to, she wasn't educated in this either. And so we were obese growing up and then got into sports. And that's when we both got really tall. I also think that it's pay attention to growth patterns because I, I see so many young kids that are built like me now as an adult, like almost five foot 10. And we all have the same growth pattern of getting overweight and then shooting up really tall in a short period of time. So that was the story for my brother and myself. And then we were in competitive sports. And so our eating habits didn't change. But we were able to reach a healthy weight because we were so active all year round. And then going into being scouted for a plus-size model when I was 17 and playing competitive volleyball, a healthy weight for my height, but still being labeled as like the overweight one or the fat one, that's literally how it was interpreted, um, was jarring to be like, wait, I work out four hours a day and you're, I'm still the fat one? Like, this right. is crazy. So getting that experience as a high school student to see the models that we're seeing in all the pictures in real life and what they actually look like, there were times where I'd be on set and someone would walk in and I had no idea that was the model until I saw the hair and makeup and I saw them on set and I saw the photo that would come up and I was like, oh my God, like I would have never even known that person was a model. Like you don't see that 
photography and all the lighting and being photogenic, all of that plays a role. And nobody walks around looking like that. Like, so that was a really interesting perspective. On top of talking to so many of these models who are just very tiny people. Like, they could fit inside my skeleton. Like, that's what I say. Like, I would hug them, and I'd be like, oh, my God, you, you're so cute. Like, you could fit in my skeleton. Like, they're you're just— very fragile. You're just tiny. <laughs> like, and that's where I would, you know, my high school nickname in basketball was the Beast. You know, that was just, like, junior high. I was just a big person. So— Getting to hear from those girls instead of seeing them as the enemy, which is what I was trained to see, like, oh, you skinny bitch, I hate you. Uh Like, we've been programmed that way to hearing them suffer to say, oh, I can't eat that. Or, oh, my agent told me I'm fat. And I'm like, I was fascinated. I'm like, wait, you're supposed to lose five pounds literally from where? Like, I where? Where is this supposed to happen? Are you supposed to cut off a limb? Like, you don't have anything else you could possibly lose. Then it dawned on me that all women are suffering. That this illusion is so damaging because these girls are are not eating. They're miserable. They're being mistreated. They're looked at as these complete objects or tokens for like men to be like, look at my success. I have this young, hot girl who's literally an empty vessel inside. And then all young girls are going, I want to be like that. And I just had this like period of depression where I was like, this is what I've been brainwashed to think was my dream. Now I'm here and I see how ugly and unfulfilling and a complete lie it is. And now what do I do? Who do I become from this point? So getting, you know, through this process, I met my husband who is naturally a fit person and he was into fitness and all these things. I met him at my biggest size when I was like, I was close to 200 pounds. Being a plus-size model, that was encouraged. I was too small when I started because I was too in shape. So I was encouraged to gain weight so that I could work, just like straight-size models are encouraged to lose weight so they can work. So there was this divide of, like, you have to be a size 14 or a zero. And you're like, okay, that doesn't make sense, logically, for anybody. Because models, most women at their healthiest, are going to be in the middle of a size 14 and a zero. So that was coming up as well. And then I met my husband at my biggest size and he was like, I just want to tell you, I don't want to be creepy, but you're like the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. And I was like, what? And he's from Missouri. I grew up in Wyoming. We met here in LA. So it was just like that comfort of like meeting someone. You're like, oh my God, you're normal like me. And we've been together ever since. We've been together for 15 years. And through that process of being with someone who was just accepting of who I was, he never was like, oh, you need to change or you need, like never once ever. He was like, I think you look amazing. Whatever you want to learn, like I'll help you learn just so that you feel good, but don't do anything for anyone else. And that was the first time anyone had ever approached me that way around health. It's always been, you do this for everyone else. So I naturally lost um, probably like 50 pounds. So I went down to a size like eight, six, eight. And I lost all my clients. So I was making six figures as a plus size model and went down to like one client. (laughs) So I was having to make a choice to say like, do I gain weight back so I can work? Because I physically can't be small enough to work on the other end. And that's when I, you know, started to get into that cycle of, well, maybe if I just do like an extra spin class today. And I'll do this meal delivery service. And let me try it the quote-unquote healthy way because of the dangling carrot of all these opportunities that are waiting for me if I can just get my hips down three more inches. That's so dangerous. And like I think all of us in the industry have fallen into that trap um, in various ways. Oh, if you're just change yourself this much, then you'll have, then you'll work. 
And that's also an illusion. And so I, I went down that path. It was not healthy. You know, like the meal is 1,500 calories a day and I'm doing like two workout classes. Like, what the hell? Like, how did I justify that that was like, I'm doing it the right way, you know, where if a tomato rolled off my salad on the floor, I'm going and getting it. Like, that's how hungry <laughs> I was. And I didn't stay in that space very long. It was like two, three months. And I cried after eating like a cupcake, you know, and I was like, who the F am I right now? Like, literally, this is not me as a person. I, w- I told myself, I would never fall into the same trap these other girls do. Like, that's crazy. And here I am crying because I had a cupcake on 4th of July. And so I had this like epiphany moment where I was like, screw this. Like, I'm not this person. And I refuse to like set this example for other girls. It's a lie. And I quit. I was like, I'm burning my book. I'm, I don't want to model anymore. Like, F these people. And my husband was like, you know, that is an option and it's valid. But if you quit, who's going to help change this? Because it's not going to change. And I was like, oh, you bastard. (laughs) Now you've tapped into like the fighter in me. And that's when I started with Healthy as a New Skinny. That's when it was done where I was like, well, where's the root of the problem? The root of the problem is we're putting an image out there that is unattainable. So for people that don't know, all of this this quote-unquote straight size models is what they call it are 15 to 19% underweight for their height. So the actually, no. Just because I don't know, you say straight size yeah, model. I'll and explain. And I'm literally, the image that comes to mind is because there's no curves. Is that true? You know, I don't know why they term they made that term. Um, it was just like standard. So that's what they call straight size. And then we were called plus size. So there weren't plus size models. It was just models. So I think they had to differentiate between and that they said straight size. And this is... Plus size. I mean, is it because negative size has <laughs> really, bad connotation? Yeah, probably. But also it was everything is aspirational. Marketing was 100% aspirational. So that got me into like understanding the psychology of all of why that works if you can never attain the image that is the symbolic of all the success, love, and happiness that you're searching for, you'll continue to strive for it and buy all the products and buy all the diets. They all the cycles like feed into each other. So coming back, circling this all back around, I opened my own agency called Natural Models in 2010, and I was 25 and totally naive. <laughs> I think that's part of why I was doing it. I was like, why not? If they can do it, why can't I? Like, now you look back, you're like, oh my God, I cannot believe I had the balls to do that. Like, it was a very bold move. And I wanted to to really take away the excuse that everyone had, which was clients would say, well, we can't use different size models because agencies don't have them. And agencies would say, well, we don't have different size models because nobody books them. And it was just like constant excuse after excuse. So I was like, all right, I'll go find them. So we scouted all the models and we shot them. I taught them how to how to model. My husband's a photographer as well. So we were able to do all of that. I learned Lightroom when everyone's out partying at 22 and 23. I was up learning Lightroom from like a sixth grader in the UK on YouTube. Like, how can I invest in my skills so that I don't have to pay someone to be able to build a business? All that kind of stuff. And so being able to work with with women of all sizes. So we have size six up to a 20 we represent right now. And it's so, it taught me so much about like just all the different variety of body types. And I've seen the pictures of so many of these girls when they were little. And I'm like, oh my God, you literally have the exact same shape when you were six as you do now. And looking and understanding genetics and understanding all of the psychology that plays into this gave me such an insight 
into where we're at now where I'm working with Under Armour and like working with all these different athletes and I talk to men and I talk to trainers and I talk to everybody and there's these root issues that aren't discussed but how we got into conversation with you is when I messaged you to say okay this Adele issue I don't see this kind of backlash when men make amazing transformations to be healthy. It's it's like what what an amazing journey. This person has put in the work. They look amazing. Good for them. When it's a woman now, it's literally the opposite that somehow we shouldn't even acknowledge this person's transformation because then we're reducing them to their image. Like there's so many layers of these things that to me are a double standard when it's men versus women. And I think that one of the conversations we've had in when it comes to body messaging on Instagram is the whole point of the body positive movement was to stop inequality and, and you know, bias against people of different sizes, but also to get young women to realize they're more than a body and therefore they have so much more to offer than this being the focus. When in reality, now we have more content that is focused on body than we ever have before. It's, it's an obsession when we see, I'm going to post about my flaws every single day. I'm going to purposely create a role and talk about it. I'm going to show my stretch marks every day. I like this is a it's a neuroses. Mm-hmm. Like because if that's our focus regardless if it's flaw focused or your six pack or whatever, that's all you have to talk about or engage in, then we've actually created a whole different problem. And we've gone backwards instead of how am I going to live my best life and quality of life? What is that? What's that whole picture look like? We're not getting the whole picture right now. We're just stuck still on body. Yeah, and so to me, it feels very counter. And it's 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 bizarre that you have come to this place because with having a modeling agency called Healthy Models, and you're more geared on like natural looking people, which I think straight models, you know, that doesn't seem like the average to me. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about the most common girl, is probably not shaped that way. It's two percent of the population. So two percent. Mm-hmm. So it's a, like a weird misrepresentation thing. It gives girls this unnatural um, thing to aim for. And so then maybe develops anorexia, I think. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that, right, is what yep. we're talking about. But now it's actually come full circle to like any urge towards health is bad. Mm-hmm. Right. Is yeah. That- and it, well, I think it's just looking at the content that we're seeing because I've, you know, worked with different influencers and it's it's tribalism for sure. And that's where it's unfortunate because we're individuals. And so all of us need the freedom to explore what works for us. And I'm sure you've tried a hundred different things. Yeah. I have as well. Mm-hmm. And without those experiences of trying to be like, that didn't work for me. Let me try something else. Oh, this didn't work for me. Like we're so like, you have to do this. And what's happening right now is we were so fanatical about diet books. Like that was ideology. Now anti-diet books are ideology. Instead of us deciding this didn't work for me, this doesn't resonate with me, I'm just going to focus on what what works for me. We now have everyone's opinion on what we're allowed to explore and what we're allowed to have work for us and what doesn't. And if we go say this works for me, now we're somehow harming other people because of of our experience. And so what that's doing is it's shutting down people from sharing. And then also it's creating a very false narrative where I know 
influencers. I mean, we're even seeing this come to light now in what's happening in the world where we're in L.A. and there's riots and all these things going on and the protests and all of that stuff. And there's influencers that are going and posing with drills and then getting in their car. They actually film this woman taking a guy being like, can I take a picture? And making a, a picture look like she was helping rebuild the city, gets in her Mercedes and drives off. I have seen this so many times when it comes to body positive influencers and models where I know in one experience, I knew a girl personally who was struggling with depression. So again, the underlying issues are not um, profitable to discuss, like sexual abuse, trauma, depression, all of these things that have that the symptom is issues with our body or eating disorders and and these behaviors that's not discussed it's just love your curves and there was one girl I was working with who was just recently on depression medication she was in my office crying being like I've gained she gained about 50 pounds she's like oh I feel so fat and ugly and then on her Instagram she was posting photos from when she was like a size six saying like love your curves like body positivity and the contrast of the reality versus what the messaging is online was shocking to me. I was like, this is not okay. Like young girls are looking at at this and you're also being able, you're able to be manipulated through this messaging that is politically correct or what people are saying you're allowed to say, but isn't the reality of what this person's struggling with, specifically with women that come from the eating disorder background. And I've been an advocate of this conversation. A lot of the the body positive influencers with millions of followers come from the very severe eating disorders. And so it's it's wonderful to educate people about that, but it also becomes dangerous when you, these are vulnerable people themselves. Like eating disorders are, it's a mental condition. It's not, it doesn't just go away. So then put yourself out there and then get millions of people watching you. That would further that issue and not allow room for growth or setbacks that are very common. Because if you say, oh, I I relapsed. Now you have a million people that are looking up to you. So they're not sharing that. It's just, let me just keep posting this overly positive content or very like body focused content because I don't want to be sharing the reality because the backlash that I will get or I will let down all these people. And that's, that sucks. (laughs) There's no way around that. I've I don't know how we navigate those things because transparency and authenticity is not allowed. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You know, I grew up at a time where there were not many obese people. When I was a little kid, I was the outlier. I, You know, I remember uh, going to the beach. Were you obese as a little kid? As well? I mean, the first diet I was put on, I was five. Mm-hmm. I was not obese at five. I was certainly overweight. I had chubby cheeks, but I wasn't obese. I By the time I was 10, yeah, I was obese. And like going to the beach, I felt like I needed to cover my body. I never went to the beach and took my shirt off. And I could, I could sit here and go like, well, that's a cultural phenomenon that caused me to feel that way. Or I could just go like... I felt that way because there are plenty of overweight people that will take their shirt off and don't feel that way. And so now today, if we go full circle, there are much more obese people. And I see little girls in halter tops with their tummies sticking out and they're they're not they don't seem introverted about their bodies. They Mm -hmm. seem quite proud 
Now, I don't know if that's a universal thing or just a few times I've seen it and gone like, check her out, Mm -hmm. you know, good for her. Mm -hmm. And like people like Lizzo, I admire her so much. Good for Lizzo. You know, she loves her body. Great. She's not ashamed of her body. Fuck yeah. Yeah. I when when we go so far in either extreme mm-hmm. and we get into an area where we want to control what other people do and how other people think it becomes dangerous mm-hmm. you know for me I'm not comfortable taking my shirt off I'm 13% body fat right now that's way less than the average mm-hmm. I have a, t- a lot more muscle than the average guy I won't take my shirt off because I I feel introverted about my body my mm-hmm. body doesn't look the way I want it to look or the way I associate confidence. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I feel more confident walking around, but I still am inhibited a little bit. That's me. That has nothing to do with you and you and the rest of the world. That's all me. I can uh, decide to change my mind about that and work on myself, but I don't need society to change do you know what I mean? I totally know what you mean. And it's interesting with um, speaking to like a lot of the male trainers and friends of ours, they all have the same issues. Like I was on the Under Armour shoot. We just had a, our trainer. His name is Rick. And he's a ripped guy. And we were just chatting and and he was like, yeah, I had a stroke. And I was like, wow, I did not know that. Like from your social media, I would have never known that. And he's like, so it affected part of my body and I can't build my my leg muscles as much. And so he was showing me like comments that guys make on his page. He won't wear shorts because of it. And I was like, Rick, really? You won't wear shorts? Like my husband, same thing. He's got skinny calves, but he's a very, his must, he's muscular upper body, just genetics. There's literally nothing he can do. So Rick and my husband were like the same. And every time he's like, yeah, if I wear shorts, look at these comments. And it's like, dude, you need to build your legs. Like, oh, you have chick legs, like all this stuff. And I'm like, and from other guys. And so he won't wear shorts. And my husband didn't wear shorts for like the first eight years that I knew him for that exact same thing. And every time he did wear shorts, someone would make this comment. And I'm like, oh my God, like guys are affected the exact same way. The societal view of men and their body is becoming the same pressure that women had. Like over time, it's going that direction. It's not as held to the fire as much, but but each other it is. So even when we talked about disordered eating for men, it was funny because they don't consider themselves to have disordered eating. They just call it a meal plan. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, yeah, that's what we're talking about. Like, it's the same thing with all your protein and this like obsessive relationship with the gym. and, And that starts in high school. So we started to see that going, oh, we actually have a lot of the same behavioral patterns, but we just label it different. And like men to come out and talk about their their feelings with their body is not something that is discussed. And so just taking the moment to like talk to someone about that, to be like, oh, I totally relate to that and like how you can move through that. And so then that day he ended up wearing shorts and he's like, Katie, you inspired me. F it, I'm wearing shorts. I'm like, seriously, you have to get to that point. And that's what's been so wonderful about the work that we've done um, because women really felt like victims to their bodies and like to feel uncomfortable in your skin is the worst thing anybody can experience. It's every day, you know, and now we're talking about multiple ways that people experience that, whether it's through the size or racial or all these different 
um, disabilities, like chronic illness. I've talked to people and just really hearing from them of like what that must feel like to put yourself in someone else's position. That's the empathy that we're lacking. And the anger takes over because we feel victimized by diet industry. So this is one thing we brought up to say diet industry was systematic. You're like, okay, let's look. It's 5% or no, it's like 95% of people um, regain their weight from a diet between one to five years. Like there's so many things. It's like multi-billion dollar industry. And you're like, if you're logically looking at this, it's a brilliant business model because it guarantees failure and it guarantees that you will keep fueling the system and you'll never reach the goal. So you're like, okay, so we know that was set up on purpose. And we also know if we look back through history and and um, what the role of women, like what's the role of being a woman? That's what we have to really like identify and what's the role of being a man? That's also changing drastically. So I think a lot of us are trying to figure out what that is in this new world that we're trying to create of equality. And so when I look back at history to be like, okay, none of this makes sense. <laughs> like I started to do this thing. I'm like, I have to figure out like, where's the root of this coming from? Because if we can go in circles with like, love yourself, you're like, cool, that doesn't actually help anything. Like, and I think that was the message for so long. It's like, look in the mirror and just affirmations, love yourself. And I was like, if one more person tells me, look in the mirror and love myself, I'm literally going to punch them in the face because like, it's so much more complex than that. But it also is, it also would do away with self-improvement. Like yeah. the extreme of love yourself. Because I think love myself equals improve myself. That's what that means to me. But now there's a version of love yourself means don't try to improve because wherever you are, right. you need to just love that. And there, I think there's a v- bit of truth in that too. I mean, it's yeah. like whatever it means to whoever. But when we start to go, no, here's what it has to mean right. for you, we're failing. Right. And it, and we got in this conversation about why there's so much backlash with body positivity. And you're like, well, it's the term itself is you're saying – Body positivity means caring and loving for your body and also finding up fighting against discrimination against people for their body and all this kind of stuff. And they're like, no, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean love your body. It means love yourself no matter what your body looks like. And I said, okay, well, that would be, and we, we separated the terminology. We're like, that's soul positivity. That means no matter what, everybody is a soul that's living in a body, and that soul is valuable. Um, but you're, but what if you're an atheist and you're like, a, you know, a Marxist uh, materialist? <laughs> well, I, then you would be like, consciousness positivity, yeah. whatever you want to <laughs> label know. it. Yeah. The reality is, like, we are not our body. So if we're, if the the confusion, the backlash from so many people is is that you're saying. There was, um, there's a blogger, Tess Holiday, who's very prominent and known, and, and she's a fat activist. And I say that is the proper term. That's what they label themselves as. That's not my label for her. Um, but there was controversy around an article where she, it, the title of it in the magazine was 300 pounds and fit. And so the, the comment section just blows up. And these magazines are not dumb. They're doing mm-hmm. this on purpose because they're going out of print. They want all of the engagement. So they're they're queuing this up for her to get decimated in the comments, which is unfair. And so when you're looking at that and then people are saying that's not body positivity and it causes like all of it causes more discrimination, not less. Right. It causes more bias instead of again caring for our bodies is essential to living a good quality of life. 
So if you are against caring for your body, then that is a personal conflict. That's not external. And I don't tell anyone about those things like because it is personal. With all of our models, I've never once said, you need to be this size. You need to lose 10 pounds. You need to gain 10 pounds. I will never, ever tell them that because I went on a journey where I was up and down, and then I found the middle. So if somebody would have intervened in that and said comments or things that would have personally really affected me because I was so sensitive and aware, hyper-aware— Who knows how that could have turned into something that is unhealthy. So I give them that freedom to figure it out, but know that they have my support and I lead by example. And if someone comes and asks me, that's your opportunity to share your knowledge and what worked for you and to just be support for them. But us going to other people and being like, let me tell you what my diet is like and what worked. Nobody gives a shit. Like nobody cares, but it's, it's also the same on the other end of the spectrum. And I work with women who have binge eating disorder or have really struggled. And when they start to post about these things, they get flooded with comments that are like, you don't need to change for anybody. You're, and they're like, I just said I don't feel good. I said, I have these really bad behaviors I'm working to improve. And you telling me I don't need to change is actually harming me, not supporting me. And I think that's the conflict that we're all trying to navigate of why is it okay for me to, to, for someone to comment about someone's weight or their body in a negative light? Why is it okay for you to come in when someone's doing something good for them and tell them not to do it? It's the same behavior that we're not addressing and just showing people support and encouragement for their journey of what works for them is what we would like to see happen. Well, I think, I, I think sadly that it's kind of society's instinct is to treat people like children and mm-hmm. to we make this determination of what is healthy. And by the way, if we're, if we're going to break down the stats on, you know, being 300 pounds versus being anorexic, anorexia can kill you quite a bit quicker than being 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. So which, you know, the heavier guy is clearly healthier than the person who's starving themselves. Um, but one is celebrated. That's the issue. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yes, in it, one is marketed heavily. One is being put forward as look like this. Totally. Yeah, that's, I, I agree. That's not good. But when we go, like, we determine, you know, even if we look at like the BMI, which we say like, this is the standard for American people. And it's like, that doesn't apply. No, to it doesn't. Everyone. I'm overweight according to the BMI. Yeah, so yeah. I'm obese according mm-hmm. to the BMI. I, My I, husband is too, and he has like zero body fat. <laughs> yeah, I, I was 50 pounds lighter than I am now, was still obese. Mm-hmm. And and about the same body fat percentage. Uh, maybe it was 40 pounds, but whatever. Like, I, I mean, I'm not going to win with the BMI. I would be rail thin and miserable if I tried to conform to those standards. That's somebody else determining what's right for me. I think the the urge is like we get together and we make a decision on what it should be. And this is either direction, what healthy is, what what is aesthetically pleasing. And there's no space for the individual to determine it for themselves. Mm -hmm. When I began, I wasn't even really thinking about health. It was more like I don't fit in an airplane seat because I was gigantic. You know, standing up is a chore. Walking around is a chore. Like 
sweating constantly, even on a cool day, having having to keep like, you know, um, ha- not handkerchiefs, uh, washcloths in my pocket to mop my brow. Like once I get to a place where it's like, OK, I fit in an airplane seat, I can shop at a regular store, which now, you know, you can find larger sizes at Target. So I can shop at Target. I can get my underwear at Target. This is a miracle. I don't even know if 20 years ago I would have been able to find underwear that fit me now at a Target. I still might have had to have been at a specialty store. For me, I'm just, in order to not regress, I need to keep setting goals. And so, like, I picked abs. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Because, like... You know, if I wasn't constantly inundated with really fit guys with abs, maybe I would have picked something else. But you see, oh, this thing, this weird muscle that's almost always covered by fat. Like there aren't a lot of people who naturally have visible visible abdominal muscles. Maybe that's a thing to shoot for, right? But it's more just so that I don't go in the other direction. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I set these goals for that reason. Not because I know when i when i have my eight pack cuz that's now what i'm going for <laughs> when i have that it's going to last 2 days it's not something that i'm going to we hold already on have it my husband told me that he's like you know and then again the trainers that i just talked to this is what they said people always ask me like how do you have those abs how can you get your abs and she's like what they don't want me to tell them is genetics right mm-hmm. and i'm like and that's yeah. a tiny tiny fraction of people who yeah. who are capable of living that way. They have lean, they have lean genetics. My daughter is one of them. She's built exactly like her dad. And I was like, how the hell did I get a Fitzbo baby? Like she came out with muscles on her shoulders and abs and like she's literally identical to my husband. And I just think it's so funny because it's so opposite from from me that when you see your children and maybe you've had that experience like with with your girls where you're like, wow, like genetics are very clear, and now it's what we do with what we've been given. And so my family is Irish um, and German, and so they're short, 
and stocky, very muscular, so I can build muscle fast. My mom's calves are like, people like stop her and they're like, oh my God, like she doesn't even work them out. My mom's calves are like insane. They're like amazing. So that's when you go, all right, it's so unfair to say this person who literally can never genetically look like the only images that we see and like create this deep sense of self-loathing that is every day on a subconscious level and then say, just try a little harder to get those abs when the people you're looking at never even tried to get those abs. Like they work out, but like you would have to work out and my brother and myself that we have that body type where we can gain weight very easily. We have to be more conscious, not say like, that's what I try to tell people. I go, it sucks. It really does. It's work. It, it's going to, and by the way, it's going to be work forever. Ever. And we know, but once you understand your body and you understand how it works and then you understand, oh, I have, this is the way that I can sustainably eat and still enjoy treats here and there, but I have to, I have to have structure. And that's what some people I think are suffering from figuring out because they're saying any restriction is bad. And I'm like, that's not true. I think structure is very different than restriction. Like structure around food is making sure that you're creating, you know, the majority is healthy and nourishing and still satisfying food that you like. And then you leave room for those days you want to go out and have pizza or whatever it is. But that's not the majority. And for me growing up, why I was overweight is because I literally ate fast food every single meal. Yeah. So... That I didn't even I didn't eat vegetables at all. Like I was like, oh my god, I was malnourished, and also it messes with your taste. Like when I would go to eat healthy foods, I was like, I couldn't taste things because I was so used to artificial, like flavors of like chips and the salt, and like you want that. It is like a drug, and so it's hard for people when you're saying you can't have structure. Um, and you're seeing all these posts like eat the cookie or eat the cake or, you know, all this I don't stuff. see these posts. I got to uh, start looking for these Yeah, you got to get posts. in that world. Um, <laughs> but the the people that suffer from binge eating are like, this is actually harmful to us because we're trying to find that balance of food has been a drug and it's been um, healing and it's been our comfort. So to have, you've got the ED group that tends to be from- What's ED? Eating disorder. Okay. They, that means something else yeah, to men. Yeah, that does. At my age. Erectile dysfunction. <laughs> Different conversation. We, hopefully Another we don't podcast. have to have that conversation no. here. <laughs> uh, eating disorders. So if you're coming from that side where it's mostly been neuroses around restriction or counting, that messaging is going to be very different than the largest percentage of eating disorders is binge eating disorder. So the public perception is it's anorexia, but it's actually the largest percentage is binge eating. So the messaging coming from people living with over-restriction is they need the freedom to not restrict because they are not overdoing it. They're people that are under-eating and they're not getting enough food. So that messaging is important, but it's not the same messaging that's going to help the group that is dealing with having an issue with food on the other end of the spectrum, which is the majority. So I think, again, because we can't have these open conversations and allow people to take what works for them, there's just this, you know, it's right or wrong when there's tons of different issues and tons of different things that are going to require different kinds of support, different kinds of action. And so I definitely relate to what you're talking about, saying like, I recognize I don't want to go the opposite direction. That was a, f- a fear when I initially had lost weight because you're out of, you feel out of control. And that was my biggest fear of like when I started gaining weight, going to, when I quit playing sports and they were encouraging me to gain weight, I didn't feel good. It wasn't that I was like, I'm ugly. Like that's also, I think, really not fair to assume that all people who are larger think they're ugly. Like 
that's not true at all. And I think the work that we've tried to do is to show beauty really is it's an it's a unique individual thing. Like you're not not beautiful because you lost thirty pounds or you gained thirty pounds. Like that's a different conversation. And I think what we're trying to do is separate the two to be like in the fashion industry, we don't need to have the health conversation because these people make clothes and they know how to do production. These are not health experts that know anything about what's going to help individuals live a better life. So why are we trying to have this conversation in this space? What we do need to have in this space is clothing for all people. Okay. Like, let's just say that just in the past five years has plus size clothing become a thing. And when we're saying plus size, mind you, I wear a large. So anyone that is curvier or bigger than me, and I'm a size like 10, 12, normal healthy weight for my height on the high end of BMI because of muscle, but I'm a large. So that's also a problem to be like, I'm not a big person in comparison to the variety of sizes that we have. So that's been an issue. And for men, let's discuss that. If you're a 32 waistband, legally, because they go by inches, you can go into any store and that pant that says 32 has to legally measure 32. Oh, really? Yes. Women sizes. Let's discuss that. Nightmare. I can go in and get a size 8 somewhere. I can go in and be a size 12 somewhere all across the board because of vanity sizing and the manipulation on our subconscious to get us to buy stuff. So there is this double standard of we have to continue the meaningful conversations in fashion, which is inclusivity, that everyone deserves clothing, everyone deserves to be seen. I think that that's a horrible argument to say showing larger bodies is promoting obesity. I'm like, well, then showing all of the underweight models you've been showing forever, you don't, you've never once said that was promoting anorexia, even though we can prove that that actually happened. But so that's unfair and that's unjust that saying these people don't deserve to be seen. They're not coming out here saying, hey, follow my meal plan. They're just saying, I like this outfit. So that needs to stop. And that's something we're working for. And then we put the health conversation into the individual's hands to say, whatever you need that works for you, like we support you and we think you're beautiful and valuable no matter what. If we can come to that agreement, people are going to be so much better off. And that's what that's why the Adele thing circling all the way back. She's not underweight. She doesn't look unhealthy. She, she looks great. She looks great. Yeah. Why and her looking great now doesn't take away from the woman that she was when she was heavier. By the way, I thought she looked great. Of I've course. every picture of Adele I've ever seen, I've thought she's a pretty girl. That's she, that was my thought. She is, and she's extremely talented. And so to say, I thought that was unfair as well when people are like, they don't talk about men like this. I'm like, really? Because I just saw Mark Wahlberg being like, look at his transformation of this week and, you know, his six-pack abs. I'm like, we see that stuff all the time. Yes, and to be really fair, the first time I got actually thin, which I was still obese on the BMI, I had a number of news stories printed on me that were horrific the downside of weight loss and look at how terrible he looks and look at his skin yeah so they do do that i mean i'm not nearly as famous as adele so it was like small stories but Mm -hmm. they certainly do they do that they did that to me and it made me feel like shit yeah well and i think the the media is obviously has gone a weird direction with clickbait and with all of this kind of stuff like it's so annoying now that even though like say in the title 
this is what this article or this video is about, and you watch it, and that wasn't what it was about at all. Like, it's just gotten to that place where they're going to throw up anything they can to get people to click on it, and unfortunately, actual human beings are being sacrificed for that, to be like, this is a real person. And that's also something that I think when you have the facade of, like, everybody's life is perfect and you want to be famous, and girls would come to me, and I heard this so many times. I'm like, why do you want to be a model? That's what I ask everybody, and they say the same four things. It looks really fun. I love taking pictures. Everybody tells me I should be a model. And I want to empower young girls. And I'm like, well, this isn't the business for that. Like, <laughs> uh, this is the opposite of all of those things. This is where you come in, you sell clothes. Like, right, and so, yes, and you, and so what we've been struggling with is that people assume that if you're in the, in the spotlight, you have power. And that's not the case. You're actually more controlled. You're more vulnerable to having everyone come on you as an individual. And everybody throws everybody to the fire. The higher up the ladder you get, the more famous you get. And so I always say that to the girls. I say, okay, who do you know that's famous that's used that in like really incredible ways to like change the world? And they're like, mm. I go, what model do you know? And they're like, mm. I go, Yeah. Okay, so that's off the table. What I suggest, if you really want it to empower people and young girls, that you do that so effectively that then you get booked as a model because of the good work that you're doing. Not, I'm going to wait to be a good person and to do things that matter until I become known enough because I'm pretty that then I can do something that matters. So these, this is really what young women are, are being brainwashed to believe, that they have no power until they have followers, mm-hmm. until people think they're pretty, until their bodies are perfect. And at that point, then they're worthy of doing something that is going to make a difference. And I'm like, oh my, so I have a three and a half year old daughter. And that's why even talking about these things, like I always say, like, I'm very opinionated and open about speaking about things a lot of people don't speak about. With that obviously comes backlash, but I never stop having those conversations openly either to say, I will, I might say the wrong thing and I'm not opposed to learning of how maybe I could have a different view. And that's been really helpful because then people are like, Oh, okay. Like initial that initial reaction is so strong. And really I think leadership that we need now in this country and in in this industry is really coming back down to like these are people. And like we need to put people over profit right now. Like this is like what I think is really happening. And because I'm young and I was a model and I know the all of the shady stuff that goes on in the business that harms these girls and how that ripple affects out into society for other young girls, I'm not okay with that when it comes to sexual harassment, creepy photographers. Like this industry's full of men that have gotten away with stuff for so long. But is it better now since Me Too? Um, not in the fashion industry. If you've noticed, that hasn't we were what if we, like we have the most amount of predators and none of them have been brought to the fire there's been talks about we all have lists of people but only recently i think we're magazine saying okay we won't work with this one photographer but not everybody it's like this really systematic power structure so that's why i try to tell girls even we had a zoom call yesterday with our models of color being like look we need to empower you to start businesses like, think bigger than being a model. You're the ones with the followers. You're, you can start businesses and sell, create your own brands. That money circulates through you guys. And you have, you're showing young women how to do those things. Like, so 
I think it's a it's a structure thing of how to get women, young girls, to think bigger. And for me, I was like, oh, if I was on the cover of a magazine, like, because that's that's how deep America's Next Top Model like effed our brains. <laughs> that you're like, oh, if if I can just do that, I've made it. And it never occurred to me that I could be on the cover of my own book. And I'm like, that's a problem. That that literally never even occurred to me that I was like, I have to wait to be chosen for somebody to choose me to do something important instead of raising these girls to be like, no, you choose yourself. What do you care about? Okay, I'll help you to build something. Let me teach you that. We young women have not had that experience yet. And I think that that's um, something that we're really focused on getting them to expand outside of just being a pretty object. Anybody who wants to sell something is going to participate in marketing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how you separate it. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that what you're talking about is going to go on no matter what, whether Mm -hmm. they're trying to capture a new audience or changing with the way culture is changing. I think that all of those things are still going to occur. So I think, I again think we just have to do our best to be our own counsels and make these determinations for ourselves. You, mm. you know what I mean? Yeah. And what, so how old are your daughters? The oldest is 24. The youngest is 13. Okay. So what has your experience, what, what do you hear from them about oh, body and about? Oh, it's all, it's everything you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, I see every version of diet happening that I've done whether I did it overtly or secretively, I see the older girls doing that and and going to the gym three times a day and really all yeah there that exists and mm-hmm. I don't know what marketing they're seeing. You know, I get on. I've been thinking about it since you said it. I get constantly advertised these shorts that have um, a, t- a tight bicycle shorts under them i've seen that and i'm and i always see them and i like how do you know that i have loose skin on my legs that i want to hold up with that because Mm -hmm. i can't wear short shorts so they figured me out and that's the thing i get marketed the most and uh i don't know what my kids are seeing on social media but that's the only place they're getting marketed to other than billboards because we don't have cable television Mm -hmm. Um, there is a documentary called Social Animals that you should watch. It's on Netflix. And it's about this generation of kids that have grown up on Instagram, which is fascinating to us who are older. I'm 35. So for us, we just viewed it as like a tool. We're like, oh, this is, yeah, for business or, you know, like it's not the same relationship that young people have with it. And there's a lot of like unwritten rules that we were like, what? Like my husband are like, what? I have no idea this goes on. And one of them was shocking was if you post a picture and it doesn't get a certain amount of likes in a certain amount of time, you have to delete it. Really? Yes. I don't know. I don't know. You need to watch this. I have a lot to delete. Yeah. And I was like, what? (laughs) And so then they talked to a girl and they're interviewing junior high, high school kids. And she's like, sometimes when I'm sad, I'll post a bikini picture because it gets like the most comments and the most likes and it makes me feel better. And I was like, oh my God, like this is crazy. And... Then to counter that, I'm just having conversations with our model. I was in here doing a different podcast with Elizabeth. And she's like, sometimes I feel ashamed of my Instagram. 
because I have to post my work as a model, which can be, you know, your body and these different things. And you have to show your con like that content because that's how clients book you. And she's like, I feel ashamed because I feel like I'm going against who I am for my job. And then like these young girls are looking up to me and that's not me at all. And so there's a lot of that's also what we're trying to do is to say, like, as a dad, you coming in and having these conversations, I'm like myself and my models will be much more effective than you. Yeah. And that's how important yeah, it is. Yeah, they don't tend to want to hear it from me. No, and they won't. And moms say this to me all the time. And they'll say, how come they listen to you? And I say the same things. And I'm like, well, they follow your actions, not your words. And they're like, oh. And I'm like, but really, where did they learn a lot of this? Let's be honest. Yeah. So if you want to model something different, you have to actually do that. Well, yes. And I have been an extremist in my life, mm -hmm. too. Uh, from the time my youngest kids were zero until about six, seven years old, I told them McDonald's is poison. Poison, poison, poison. Cut to we're skiing and all the – there's an, an insane line at the food – to get food at the ski lift. And I have to feed them. They're little kids. They're going to turn into gremlins if I don't feed them soon. We drive down the hill. The restaurants are madhouses. But there's a McDonald's that's relatively empty. And I'm like, well, um, this is what we're eating. And I pull in and they cried because they thought I was mm. trying to poison them. And I was like, well, it's not really poison. <laughs> I also told them once when they were very young – that uh, um, the stuff they used to wash their hair was the fecal matter of this mythical creature called a sham. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was the sham's poo. And, and I forgot I told them that. And years later, they asked my wife how she felt about the mistreatment of the shams. And my wife was like, what are you talking <laughs> about? So, yes, you have to be careful what you tell the kids. Yeah. But like that... I think we tend to treat society as kids and they're not kids. Mm -hmm. Society should be allowed to determine a lot of this for themselves. When it comes to circling back to some of the things that are very popular with like health at every size, the Hayes book, they are trying to make that kind of like the mandated approach to obesity in our country. And I sent you an article. It was so interesting. Wait. That who is trying to make um, that the mandated like, approach? I think all of the like the, the body people? positive community oh, oh, gotcha, are okay. saying this should be the approach to, to handling obesity. Which um, is what not handling the, obesity. Well, they're saying that you through that process that you're taking away discrimination because it is true that larger people do not get the same amount of time with doctors. That there's a lot of issues that get just clumped into like it's just you're overweight like they don't give spend the same amount of time they would if someone who was a healthy weight went in there um they're not listened to all of that kind of stuff and then i read an article recently at the doctor's office because my all my family are physicians and it was a great conversation starter um that i just had with my brother who because he was also overweight so he's a spinal specialist a lot of the issues of people that he's working with are because they have throw out their back and then the weight is like a huge issue once you have a problem there so he's like yeah I try to approach them in a way that it's not like oh your weight's the problem but it's just um I don't care about the weight I care about like the lifestyle that you're living like let's focus on that and so doctors are not taught nutrition which I think is 
horrific. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. The most important like element to our health is like what we're consuming. That's a huge component that to not have any basis of education in. So the article I read was saying that doctors have failed people who are struggling with weight. When they come to them, they just say, you're overweight. Right. They don't give them any plan of action or education or resources for that. They just make the statement, which they already know, which makes the people feel shamed and judged and not helped and continues the cycle. So they said that, I think it was in the 80s, there was only a few obesity clinics that were helping people. And now there's like 3,500. So people are saying, okay, we need to like have a better system of support because it's psychological. It is physical. It's all these different things. So I thought that was a really great step in acknowledging that doctors have have not helped and therefore have left people on their own who already don't know how to manage these things. Then going into the haze, it's reducing that, which is the stigma around weight, um, and really advocating that they feel there's health at every size and focusing on healthy habits, um, which again, yes, yes, and yes, we all agree. But I think that there still has to be more education in fitness and more education in nutrition because a lot of these deep-rooted issues, you can say, oh, you think you're doing the right thing. Like how many times have you thought you were doing all the right things, but it actually wasn't healthy or sustainable. I've done that so many times. So it just needs to be a continued conversation where there's more help learning how to move your body in a way you actually enjoy. Because when that's been a punishment or when you are a larger person, it's very hard on your body physically. So you tend to not do those things. Like I hate abs, so I don't do abs. Right. And I'm like, I just avoid the things I'm like weak at. I'm like, yeah, let's just go build my arms again. And I, I'm aware of that now. And I have to, again, make goals that instead of turning away from things that are hard for me, I actually like lean into them and like tap into that like competitive nature. And there's none of those conversations that happen. So it's just about what the article brought up was the studies behind Hayes that I found was interesting. And I actually have an uh, appointment to talk to one of my eating disorder doctors I'm very close friends with to help me go through that data is that they haven't tested it on people that suffer from eating disorders. So I think it's very important to acknowledge because- I, I think so too. And I think that as we uh, move into the future and we have things like uh, you can be a professional video game player- mm-hmm. And that doesn't require a lot of physical movement. If that, if a dude who's a professional, listen, I can only picture one professional video game player in my head and he's a very lean guy. So he must exercise and eat well, or he's just genetically gifted, whatever, Mm -hmm. fine. But like the, the use of the body that was necessary when we were cavemen is no longer necessary. Mm -hmm. And Health is subjective. At some point, there's like you could be uh, – it would be impossible to direct your – like, you know, driving in a car could be considered unhealthy. Are we now going to get into the specifics mm-hmm. of ad- advocating for like nobody should drive because it's unhealthy? You know, alcohol kills a lot of people. That could be on the list of unhealthy things. At some point, we're going to become extremists mm-hmm. if we're only looking for health, right? And so, well, yeah. how do you identify what that is? Like, because there are times where I was heavier, 
when I was working to get to like my healthy weight, I was doing all the same things I do now. I posted a picture recently of all different sizes I've been and I had just had a baby in one of the pictures. So I was much fuller and I was like, how that image would be judged would be, oh, look at this. It could be, I could use it. I can manipulate it and say, look at this transformation I had with this protein shake, the before and after. But, or it could be like, oh, she's, she was fat or lazy. And you're like, none of those are true. I literally ate the same. I worked out through my pregnancy. That's just what my body did. And so I also think there needs to be room for like being fluid with your body. It's never going to stay the same. Like it's always going to be changing and like why we have to be open to finding the nuance of balance and like extent structure and balance can coexist and go, oh, okay. Like I found that place where I don't obsess anymore. Like that to me was a goal. I don't count calories because I have the basis of education. But when I started, I needed to know that. And that was an important process for me. So when people say, oh, counting is bad, I'm like, okay, let me explain something to you. I did not know why I had gained weight. Like I literally didn't know how it worked. So when my husband explained it to me the first time, I'll not forget it. We were at Red Robin. I had like a double, I don't know what I had, a bacon cheeseburger with like two baskets of fries or some thing like that. And then I, he's like, oh, I'll show you. And we pull up the menu and we looked at the calories and he's like, so in 3,000 calories, one pound of fat in the day, you want to have around 2,000, depending on how fast you burn. I'm like, okay, okay. And he's like, okay. And then we just ate this. And I was like, oh, that was more than I was supposed to have all day in one meal. Like it was so genuine. I really didn't know. And then it was like all these light bulbs went off where I was like, oh my God, wait. So when I started eating out, I started looking and I'm like, all of these things, if you go to Cheesecake Factory, the healthy menu, which they call the skinny menu, which I hate. I always comment when I go. I'm like, why would you call it the skinny menu instead of just the healthy menu? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. again, why Why or is that more alluring? the informational menu. Yeah. With like, good choices. Yeah. yeah the something. better choices. Yeah. Like, And even all of the salads and everything on there are over 500 calories. That's the, yeah. that's the best bet at eating out. So it's... I think people get don't like counting calories because the idea is like for the rest of your life, you're going to be walking around like doing Google searches or putting stuff into MyFitnessPal or looking at Calorie King. And the reality is I think that many people just have no idea at all. And so if you do it for a little bit, you'll start to see – Oh, then you know that's a that's a bizarre choice that I'm going to make. That mm-hmm. that second double double is maybe too much. Like, let me eat this one. Realize how many how much fuel I just gave myself. Sit back and see how I do with it. And and you can also find which calories keep you going longer. And and like I, I think counting calories is awesome. When I started doing it, it was overwhelming how complicated it seemed. Mm -hmm. And then once I got the hang of it, I can go and eat for a few days and never think about what the caloric intake is because I know I'm within my boundaries. Right. And also everyone has different goals. So um, going with Under Armour recently before COVID, they had a bunch of athletes and trainers come to their headquarters for this event. And we got to train together and all their facilities and do a nutrition classes. It was really a cool thing. And I'm like, I wish the public could experience this because it was so informative. But one of the things they talked about, about there's three different types of athletes through MyFitnessPal. There's like your competitive, allegiant, athlete 
they're going to have very different needs when it comes to what they're consuming, what how they're training. Like it's very mechanical because they, they're competing at an elite level. So they have different needs. Then you have the in-between, maybe the CrossFitters who really love the aesthetics of it. They love the competition, but they're not competing at this with anyone. It's just a lifestyle. And then you have just the average people that are like, I just need to get in my walk for the day. Like there's, those are in everything in between. So again, to make blanket statements, you're going, well, if you're counting calories because you're, you're in training right now, you're building muscle, or there's all these different cycles when it comes to different forms of training, that conversation can be perceived completely differently to somebody who's just like, I'm just a novice (laughs) health person trying to live healthy. And like, you're so extreme and restrictive when in reality, you're not, you're actually just have very different goals. Yeah. And it could be a, and a, a cool thing to do just like don't change what you're eating at all just figure it out every day mm-hmm. for a couple of days for a yeah. week just write it down look it up so you have some idea mm-hmm. of what you're consuming because I do I, I, I agree I, I think a lot of people just have no idea and it's just data so taking the value out of it of like the I'm a good or bad person based on these numbers it's just data so it's the same thing with the scale there's so much. We talked about this the other day with women. We're like, have you noticed on um, scales for ads or anything, the weight's always like 125? Mm-hmm. It's like like the message, that subliminal messaging to women is like, we should weigh around 130. Yeah, someone decided that was the that number. Was, that was the acceptable weight for women. No matter height, frame, like 130 is where you should be. Even Hands May Tale, we were watching the episode and it stood out to me so much, something I would have never noticed, but she's pregnant. And why I love her as an actress, because she's normal looking. She's a phenomenal actress and she's just normal. And I, I appreciate the stories from people that are more believable. And she gets on the scale and it said 130 and you're like, okay, why would you even do that? Like, what would that, why would that have mattered to where you would have to shoot a fake scene to show a lower number? Why wouldn't you just, you know what I mean? So I think that's part of it of this, these numbers mean something so deep to all of us that affects the relationship with the data. And if you can switch that to say, it doesn't matter what this number says, this number is going to change and it's going to move. It's just a, it's just a data point. My value is not dependent upon this data point. This is just helping me to make good decisions throughout the day. Like, so that's hard if you have an obsessive personality um, or if you're a perfectionist or, you know, we've, as I go speak at these colleges, um, Texas Christian University went and spoke to 900 girls in sororities. There's a lot of toxic stuff going on perfectionism is a huge issue for young women. So they're, they outnumber the boys at this school because it's a high academic school. Girls are outperforming boys academically now. And back to these roles we talked about, boys are, we're not, there's not a need for brute strength because of machinery and these things. So everything's kind of in the middle and there's lashing out on one side. So the boys treat the girls very poorly at the school because they're outnumbered and they use that as like, well, there's two girls to every guy, like a recruiting tool. And the slogan, the slogan there was talking to them that if you come in as a girl and you're a 10 you subtract, like looks wise, you're 10, you subtract three. If you're a guy, you add three. 
And so these this are, is the recruiting tool to girls? To guys. To guys. Okay. Yeah. So like you have more girls, the girls that are disposable. And so I go in and I talk to the leadership groups and it's shocking to me because I'm like, you paid me money to be here. And I just asked you like, what are issues you you feel like girls are suffering from on campus? And they like ghost me. They just like stare at me. And I'm like, do you think if I go over to the guy's leadership and ask them a question, like they're going to just like be quiet? Like, so when we get into these deeper conversations about the environment that young women are in, where there's so much pressure to perform, to look perfect, to have a guy like you, like it's just impossible. So a lot of times they are taking that control and putting it on their body and on what they're eating and on the weight to numb the other toxic traits of their environment. So that's something to just be conscious of that if you feel like you have that perfectionism and you start to feel that control through the scale or through what you're eating, that's really on you to recognize that's not good for you. That doesn't mean someone else is going to have the same experience, but that you personally don't have a healthy experience stepping on a scale every day or writing down what you're eating. And that is powerful to acknowledge and then say, I'm not going to do that. But also acknowledging other people. It's a really powerful tool that they are they can use in a healthy way because they don't have the same personality traits that you might have. So I think it's just important, like we said, to say these are just, it's just information you're collecting and food does, you do, you should know what is in what you're eating. Especially when, you know, every stop to the gas station, you could eat your whole day's worth of fuel very easily by just walking inside to the convenience store, mm-hmm. you know, and it could be in uh, soda and a couple little bags of snacks and boom, you've hit your max mm-hmm. for the day yeah. of, of uh, intake of fuel. When I was training for volleyball in high school, I was drinking a Slim Fast at lunch and eating a bag of trail mix thinking that was healthy, like genuinely was like, yeah, okay, this good choice. And then I'm like, I ate more calories in that bag of trail mix and got like no nutrients that would sustain me throughout the day. And I would crash and have no energy. And so again, I think if you're, it's all about your intention. And if your intention is always in improving your quality of life and being kind to yourself, like I posted recently, because women are writing me privately now because they don't feel comfortable saying this publicly that they are overweight. They do want to make a change and they don't know where to start. I think that's a common feeling I 100% can personally relate to. And so I started just sending them individual things to talk about. And I think the first place to start is really acknowledging that you're you're not a bad person because you're trying to make a change. Like, I think they feel the shame and the guilt. And now there's a new embarrassment where they can't even publicly say, like, I want help for this because they're going, it's the patriarchy got to them. You know, you're like, wait, no. They really just don't know and they're seeking that help. So I think having, like relieving the stress is the first thing I do and the anxiety where I'm like, it's all good. There's there's a solution for this. And yeah. You can totally figure it out. Like just taking, saying that and they're like, oh, okay. Like I'm not, I'm not this like shameful person that has to hide in the shadows and ask for help secretly. And secondly, start to really identify on your life path where these patterns develop. So one thing we've done in groups where we'll take a big pad of paper and we do a timeline to say, what were significant things you can remember in your life from childhood till now that really affected you? Like things someone said to you about your body in direct relation to your body. And 
once we do that, then we go back and say, now drop down a bar below each one of those things. How did your relationship with food and your body, how was it affected from these events? And then we look at this timeline and they're like, oh my gosh, this was when my dad died is when I had the first time I started. And they never made that connection or... This was when this other person humiliated me in sixth grade. And after that, I only wore a hoodie, right? Like, so if we really trace it back and we can see it, we can see our full story and really identify all these moments, then we can actually say, how would you treat a six-year-old kid? Would you ever say that to a six-year-old? No, I would never say that. And it allows them to realize, oh, it wasn't me. That wasn't my fault. That was that person. And there's a lot of healing that has to take place first in understanding the journey that you're on. If you can't understand what led you to this point, then it's really hard to move forward and, and have sustainability and not fear, fear I'm going to go back right. in that control. So that's been a really amazing process to help women to identify what led you to this place and how you developed this relationship with food and body. What, what, what was it? And it's different for everybody. And then going forward to say, what, what would you like how would you like to feel? Let's take looks off the table. How would you like to feel? And they list it out and say, okay, great. So when we start to make decisions, is this decision leading you towards your goal? Or is this obsessing about this these calories? Is that stopping you from feeling free and empowered and all these things? And just giving them a roadmap to be a critical thinker yeah. instead of accepting somebody's book who's profiting off of you know, biased data and specialists as their roadmap, they're actually going to create it. And um, I forget his name, uh, but I love it. It's a documentary on Netflix and his philosophy is like amazing. But he's like, there's four simple rules. And what diet culture did is they made it seem like you needed a, a priest to be between you and your happy, healthy life, like just between you and God or whatever that would be. And so that's what diet culture is. It's like, you have to have this knowledge and these rules in order to to be healthy. It's such, so much more simple. (laughs) They want it to be complicated so they can sell you, you know, their solution. But everything is calorie deficit. Going back to it, Weight Watchers, they're taking foods that would they would normally just tell you the calorie in, intake and they're taking the calorie intake and labeling it as a number or a color. Making, they made it, it's like calorie counting for dummies. Exactly. And Which is fine. I don't mean to call people dummies. No, but, Weight Watchers is great. Yeah, but that's when you go, it's still making it seem like it's more complex. Like I have to follow their system, their charts, their what they can tell me, their products that tell me these numbers instead of just this basic information that you don't need someone to be the, the person that tells you what's best for you. So it said, don't eat foods that come from the earth. Eat as little processed foods as possible. Obviously, we're real people. That's not going to be attainable all the time as much as possible. Don't eat too much. Don't eat too little. And it said have meat on occasion. So we talk about the caveman thing when they go to diets and they're like, everything's meat because that's a caveman. You're like, okay, on a good day. It's not like they had to know. They had to go hunt that. It wasn't like an abundance of meat. It was here and there. So there was like a lot of just reason. And then it said everything in moderation, including moderation. And I was like, those are four principles that make so much sense if I look at what works for me and living sustainably. And I'm like, the other stuff is just extra noise that really 
distracts people and confuses you and makes you feel like you're wrong. And so I think if we can simplify this for people and just have positivity and encouragement for everyone to say, like, if you are happy with the way you are, great. It's not my business. If you're trying to make a change, that's awesome. If you need help, you can always ask me. I'm not going to volunteer my opinion on what you're doing. If you want to talk to me, I'm here for it. And I think that's like the way forward where everyone feels the freedom to move into a space of self-improvement that allows us to become the people we were really born to be. Yeah. And that's what I would love to see. I love it. Katie, thank you so yeah. much. Thank you guys. And now for the Q&A. Protein intake when overweight. This question comes from David. I am 35 years old, 5'11", and 302 pounds. I, like you, have tried every diet in the book and am now realizing it is as simple as caloric deficit. My question is, how much protein should I eat? I am following a 2,500 calorie diet, working out six days a week with three cardio, three home dumbbell workouts. I have lost weight in the past with keto, but now looking back, I lost a lot of muscle mass. I was still fat at 220, just less. No muscle definition. Not a sustainable diet for me. Great question, David. So the rule of thumb I always follow or I have been following um, because I had a very similar thing. I was doing keto. I was losing weight. No muscle was showing up. And I started getting DEXA scans and I would notice um, consistently that I was losing about 40%. 40% of my weight loss was in muscle. Um, and I'm not talking about like in one month I lost 10 pounds and four of it was muscle. I'm talking about over the course of a year, I got four DEXA scans and had lost 70 pounds and 40% of that was muscle. And so my idea at that point was I was relatively close to my goal. My body fat percentage was not in excess of what kind of like standard American body fat percentages were at the time. But I thought, wouldn't it be great if I could just target fat loss and not lose any lean tissue and then have some excess muscle to fill out my loose skin? That was what I wanted. So I went on a diet that was basically calorie based and Within that, the first thing I would figure out is my protein. And I would eat 1 to 1.2 grams of protein per pound of weight, total body weight. So at 302 pounds, I would have been eating a minimum of 302 grams of protein. And then gram of protein is, is four calories. And so that's 1200 calories. So then you have uh, another, if you're on a 2500 calorie diet, you have another 1300 calories to kind of divvy up between fat and carbohydrates. Kind of, you can even play with those and figure out what helps you the most in the gym or, or what ratio in those makes you feel the best. You know, uh, from what I've read, you shouldn't ever be under 10% calories in either of those. So if your total caloric intake is 2,500 calories, you're going to want at least 250 from all of those macros, protein, carbohydrates, and fats. So if you're going to go low fat, you still want 250 calories 
from fat minimally. I think that's probably even a little too low, but like that's the minimum for health. From what I've read, that's not my recommendation, but you know, if you feel better when you have a little bit more carbohydrates, then you can have, uh, you can split it 60 40 carbohydrates to fat or 70 30 carbohydrates to fat, your remaining calories. That is my answer for you, David. Thank you for your question. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on the podcast, please submit it to AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.